Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the changing rooms at Stoke to my pigsty. It's Justin Peach. <laughs> Hello, Ryan. Justin, how's it going? Yeah, yeah, not bad. A lot better than obviously Neil Warnock yesterday, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, that reference will make a lot more sense later on if you're not aware of it already. On the show today is Tom Morgan from Total Swans TV. Tom, are you well? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? I am superb, thank you. Now, we were meant to have Jerry from the Coventry podcast, Neil Lamptey, on with us, but he's ran into some issues, so he won't be joining us today, meaning, Justin, you're going to have to fill in as a Coventry podcast. Is that all right? Yeah, I love Coventry as a, as a football club, as a city. I, I bleed Coventry as well as... Uh, well, actually, yeah, no, I bleed Coventry. <laughs> you bleed sky blue, is what you're trying to say. <laughs> yes, that's, that's a better way of putting it, I think. <laughs> More difficultly, it means that there's only going to be two of you on Simon Grace and Tate for Late, which I'm sure is going to end well. But it will be one for the ages if you manage to pull it off. Either way, we'll talk about the Swansea game uh, first. So uh, that was Swansea 2, Luton nil. Connor Roberts and Andre Ayew grabbing the three points for the Swans. Luton had a few chances though, didn't they, Tom? Yeah, I mean... Obviously, the game started fantastically. Um, couldn't have gone any better. The first uh, two minutes, Connor Roberts getting on the score sheet. Um, Andre Ayew setting up the goal. A fantastic start to the game. Um, you know, something we've not really been able to do is get going in the games. We've had opportunities in front of goal, but never really scored early on this season. So it's uh, it, it was a really good start to the game, but uh, Luton made it very, very difficult for us um, after that, up until half time. Um, they caused us a few a few problems going forward through the midfield and into the defence, but nothing really troubling Woodman um, other than one shot which he managed to tip uh, onto the post um, when and just rolled out into play. But other than that, no Luton really. They did put up a, a difficult fight in midfield, but to be fair to them, uh, I think the Swans thoroughly deserved the win yesterday. Yeah, Andre Ayew got a goal and set up the other one, meaning he's now played a part in nine goals this season. He is an absolute superstar, isn't he? For us, he certainly is, definitely. Um, and obviously, I think every Swansea fan would say he's probably up there, if not the best player in the championship. Opposition fans obviously will have their own say with their own players. Um, but for us, yeah, absolutely, he's a superstar. Um, you could see his qualities when we had him in the Premier League. He's clearly a Premier League player. Um, due to finances and things that went on with the club, obviously we had to loan him out. Thankfully, he's dedicated his time now to the Swans, um, and you know Steve Cooper is now getting the best out of him. It's unfortunate we haven't got an out-and-out striker to take a little bit of the goal-scoring pressure uh, off of Andre, but he is delivering every single game. Um, a few weeks back, he came off the bench uh, and he scored, completely changed the game. Uh, and yesterday, again from the from the off, um, he can just turn the game, uh, and his goal just goes to show that picking the ball up just on the uh, on the byline, driving towards the edge of the box. And how no Luton players picked him up, uh, I have no idea, but he was given far too much space and he proved what he's capable of doing, putting the bo- uh, ball into the bottom left-hand corner. Yeah, you won't thank me for saying this, but it does surprise me that a Premier League club hasn't looked at him and thought, yeah, we will have a bit of him. But either way, SCFC Tim on Twitter says, you need to give some credit to the Swansea fullbacks, Connor Roberts and Jake Bidwell. Both are having great seasons. Tom, give them some praise on our behalf. Um, honestly, it's a breath of fresh air. Connor Roberts, we, we've seen what he's been capable capable of the last few seasons, but especially this season and the back end of last season after lockdown, um, he is absolutely showing what he is capable of. Uh, it's just a shame that he's doing it just before January. Um, so there's probably a few nerves running through the Swans, uh, Swan fan base at the moment, fearing that a Premier League club is going to come swooping in for him. But also his counterpart as well on the opposite side, Jake Bidwell, uh, an absolute fantastic, fantastic start to the season as well. Getting vo- getting involved, I believe he has a goal. He set up one or two as well, and the, the pair of them combined, they're basically, I think, on one of the websites I've looked at, um, Connor Roberts's actual um, primary position, and it says right midfield. That just goes to show how far up and how dominant they are in midfield and attacking. They're barely in defence. Um, and then those three centre-backs are doing the, the, the wing-backs' jobs for them. Um, and it's allowing them to get forward. And it is it is causing an awful lot of um, opposition teams some trouble this season. It's great to watch, honestly. It's, it is a breath of fresh air seeing the pair of them get up the field. 
I'd love to see how much they run a game. We don't have those stats available to us in the championship, but they must make some serious miles over the course of a season. Uh, Justin, Nathan Jones will be disappointed with the result after a fairly good performance and their first win in five in midweek. Yeah, obviously, again, going away to Wales and they concede an early goal, it's an uphill battle from there. And obviously, Matty Pearson getting sent off isn't going to help things. But I think... I say they were much better here than they were against Cardiff, so Nathan Jones will certainly take that in uh, well, as a positive, really. And obviously, they they did threaten at times. I think it was Luke Berry missed a, a bit of an open goal, quite an easy chance he should have put away. And obviously, I think that might change the game. Obviously, Swansea are very good at defending Leeds, so when you go one nil down against Swansea, you know it's going to be difficult. I think they've won seven um, seven seven games this season to to clean sheets essentially. So as I say, going going away, going a goal down early. It's not a battle from there, but it's something to build on for Luton. And obviously, as I said, um, for, for, for them, you know, this sort of gives you an idea of where they are, where they're at, because they're getting beat uh, by the good teams, but they're not getting battered. I don't know you take away the Cardiff game, but I was just a bit of a meltdown. Yeah, they're not getting battered like they were last season. So certainly an uphill, uh, sorry, um, an upward stride for them. Yeah, definitely. Let's go to a game that was massive near the bottom of the table between Coventry and Rotherham. It finished 3-1 thanks to goals from Maxime Biamu, Tyler Walker and Leo Ostergaard. Justin, as our standing Coventry fan <laughs> for the day, it was a massive result for your boys, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it was. It was It was, It was. was brilliant. And um, I think the, the, the way Coventry have shifted from the international break, they've been, they've been superb. They're unbeaten in... How many games? Five, four, four, four or five games now, and it's it's a real um, step in the right direction for them. And as well as that, they're starting to turn turn chances into, into goals. Tyler Walker has been arguably probably one of the form players in the championship since they've come back from the international break, and he's he's been massive. And uh, Maxim Biami as well has knocked up a couple of goals. Again, massive for for, for Coventry, and obviously Ostergaard off the Brighton conveyor belt of centre halves, which is. Weird how many centre-halves they've got out on loan at the moment. And obviously, you consider Ben White last season, it's, it's strange. But they've recruited really well. We know that they've recruited really well. The loan players they brought in have made a difference as well. I think this Coventry team can start to can start to look up, especially with the form since coming back from the international break. It's been brilliant. Yeah, you mentioned Tyler Walker. That assist for the first goal was top class. The way he's flicked it over the defender yeah. with his chest. And he also got on the score sheet, as you mentioned. Consider that the fact... They got him for a million quid. Is it's looking like daylight robbery, isn't it? It is, and I think we said this at the time. This will be this will be a signing that has probably gone under the radar, but will be a big, big signing. And then <laughs> adding to the mix that Forest can't score at the moment, and they have Lewis Graben and Latane. I know Lewis Graben's been injured, and Latane, who can't seem to fish anything out at the moment. It makes you wonder. <laughs> What's going through the Reds when they when they sold Tyler Walker? I know he's 24. He's probably thinking, you know, he needs to make a go of it. So I think Coventry is the right place for him. And they've got a really good player for such a low price. Mm. It seems like the issue with Coventry this season, uh, and it's something you could say about quite a few teams in the Championship, is that in one game they look top draw, and then in the next game they look diabolical. Would you agree that's the case with Coventry and maybe a few other teams in the Championship this season? I'd have agreed. Um, before the international break, but looking at the form coming back, as I say, they're unbeaten in five, one, two, drawn, drawn three of those. Not, okay, not playing against top, top sides, but the picking up results, their game management before the international break was really poor, which is why they let teams dominate them, which is why they let teams back into games. But since then, they've sorted it out and their form is 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 creeping up. And as I say, being unbeaten is, is massive for a team that were probably low on confidence um, in the first quarter of the season, but they seem to have sorted things out. Just quickly on Rotherham, they've now picked up one point from the last five games. and They've got some tricky games coming up as well. This result is a massive blow for them, isn't it? It is. It's two wins in 10, 17 conceded. All the while, teams around them are picking up points. It's it's a massive blow to them, a bit of a sucker punch. And obviously, this is one of those games where you look at it and you think, again, no disrespect to Coventry, but they're going to look at this game compared to perhaps Brentford in midweek and go, OK, there's an opportunity here to pick up points. We're against a team that came up with us. We've got to we've got to go for it. And unfortunately, Coventry was miles better on the on the day, and Rotherham looked second best all all, all game. Tom, do you think Justin passes as a standing Coventry fan? 
I think you can do a pretty good job. That's better summary than I could have given on another team that uh, I don't really follow. But I suppose when you do it week in, week out, and you listen to it all the time, it's a pretty good effort. I'm, I'm confident he can help later on anyway. <laughs> we are championship well. nerds. Um, <laughs> one final question that I just randomly thought of the other day is, you know how Coventry play in Birmingham? What if Coventry was in Tier 3 and then Birmingham is in Tier 2? Would they still be allowed fans to go to St Andrews for their games? I mean, considering that teams are going to other you know, locations and grounds that are in different tiers, then yeah. you know. But you're not meant to travel between tiers. So yeah, I presume so, not. So how, how are teams playing away? Derby played Millwall this weekend. But they're in a bubble, Mill- aren't they? Exactly. You just answered that question. No, the, no, I mean, are the fans allowed to go to St Andrews? I, this is... Too political for me, Ryan. I can't deal with it. Oh, God's sake. (laughs) Right, Tom, thanks for now. We'll come back to you a bit later on at the end of the show when we play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. In the meantime, me and Justin, we're going to go round the grounds and we'll start off with the game between Millwall and Derby where the Rams managed to get their first win in 12 games. However, unfortunately, the match was overshadowed by a section of the Millwall fans booing the players taking the knee before the game. Joining us now from the Second Tier Podcast is Justin Peach. Justin, hello. Good afternoon. We'll talk about the booing in the news later on in the show. For now, let's stick to the football and Wayne Rooney's first win in charge of the Rams. <laughs> yes, it's it's massive and it's clean sheet as well, which is a big surprise. I think the amount of anxiety you get as a Derby fan when you go 1-0 up and there's still 20 minutes left to play, considering the fact we've conceded or we've dropped 10 points from winning positions this season... I had to <laughs> had to take the dog for a walk. I couldn't bear it. Um, but, you know, purely from a supporter's perspective, it's, it's a massive win and it's a massive relief as well. And it, it will be for people around the club. It doesn't get easier, obviously, Brentford in midweek, but this will surely, hopefully, spark a bit of form going forward. And as I say, it's a clean sheet as well. Clean sheet. First clean sheet since Norwich. First win since Norwich. So Yeah. Uh, a fairly even game. There wasn't a vast array of chances. I thought Christian Bielik was superb, and he is a brilliant player, isn't he? Whenever mm-hmm. I've seen him in a derby shirt, he sometimes looks a bit like a Premier League player playing with teammates who aren't as good as him. But <laughs> him being back in the squad will be huge going forwards. The question now is, Justin, Wayne Rooney in? Um, I'm still on the fence. I'm not, well, I wasn't on the fence before, but I'm probably more on the fence now. I think his reaction, firstly, to... The booing has been superb. He's released another statement today. Um, and it just shows a togetherness around the club, which we've not felt since last season. Um, you know, if it goes well, then it goes well. Then fair enough, there's a case for it. But at the minute, I'm still for an experienced man coming in. However, pick up a few more results in the next coming weeks, then you has to get the job. If there's any credit, you can give him. It seems like he's learning on the job very quickly, isn't he? I thought the setup yesterday was good. I thought the substitutes were the right ones to make. Do I think he'll keep Derby up if he gets the job? Jury's still out. We'll wait and see. <laughs> but Millwall are now without a win in eight. And they're sliding down the table at an alarming rate, aren't they, Justin? Yeah, it's, as you say, it's the winless in eight. It's just one win in ten as well. Um, both teams have scored three in the last six games. When you would you have put Millwall in that category with 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 Derby? No, not at the start of the season anyway, or not even at any point in the season. Um, it seems like they've burnt like they burnt out at the end of last season, and that sort of started to leak into this season a little bit. And we said earlier on in this season that they haven't really got into gear, but it seems now that they're going into reverse. Um, and as you said, they're dropping at an alarming rate. They're conceding goals from from crosses, from set pieces. They just don't look like the Millwall team both you and I expected. Um, no. And it's it's really poor, really, really poor, and it's a worry. In fairness, I don't think they're playing that badly. I think the results just aren't going their way. But the issue is pretty obvious. They've got three goals in the last eight games. And I got battered by Millwall fans for saying last season that they are so reliant on Jed Wallace, so much so that they're a bit of a one-man team going forwards. Wallace has got five goals this season. The next highest scorer is seven players on one. So the fact that Wallace isn't in great form himself at the moment is being replicated in the results now. And they badly need one of their strikers to start pulling their weight because they've got about five but Gary Rowett doesn't know which one to choose because mm. none of them are playing particularly well. I like to think Troy Parrott will come good and he's the burden on Wallace soon. And the fact of the matter is, he needs to, doesn't he? 
Uh, Brentford fans were able to witness a game at their new ground for the first time. They drew 2-2 with Blackburn. Billy Grants from the Brentford podcast besotted and was one of the lucky fans to be at the game yesterday. Billy, how was it? I tell you what, after not going to a game for nine months, it was brilliant. I mean, I was a little bit nervous. 2,000 fans, I thought, listen, we've got an, we, Brentford are in a new stadium. And when they go into that new stadium, I want to be inside their full 17,000, full atmosphere. 2,000 fans isn't going to be really cutting it. But when the invite came through, I was so excited. And there was me, there was my daughter, there was my son, who hasn't been, you know, too much in the last couple of years. But he was excited to come as well. So us as a family went down to New Griffin Park via Old Griffin Park. We walked past Old Griffin Park, paid our tributes to the old girl, and then we went to New Griffin Park inside the stadium. We walked in there, um, and it was great. i tell you something. You walk inside there. It looks probably a little bit bigger on TV, but it's actually quite tight. You're close to the pitch. You can hear the players. You can feel the players. The referee, the linesman, they can all hear you. You know, you... The, the, the acoustics was brilliant. Only 2,000 people in there, but, you know, we whipped up a bit of a song. You know, the sound stays in there. For me, I just thought, tell you something, I can't wait till 17,000 fans get in the stadium because it's going to be tremendous. Oh, Billy, you're making me jealous. Uh, the actual game, Blackburn were down to 10 men for two-thirds of it. So from that perspective, you must have been pretty disappointed that you didn't walk away from here with three points. When Blackburn went down to 10 men, to be fair, we should have put the game to bed. I mean, Blackburn, I thought, were actually really good, especially for the first half or so. They were quick, they were strong, they moved the ball about, they scored a goal, which I think was actually avoidable. The defence was at fault. But then came the penalty and the red card. But we bossed the game in the second half. Cannell scored a wonder goal, which uh, literally had him in tears. I mean, he's been off his game this season on his return and we've been debating whether or not he's a player who feeds off the crowd and just looking at that game when the crowd was roaring Canos was on another level you know but he was taken off for Fosu which is a bit of a conundrum for some fans because they've been calling for Canos's head for a while and for Fosu to come in but the real killer was taken off the super industrious incredibly fast and skillful Rico Henry for Thompson and that played into Blackburn's hands and they scored a really well taken late and again avoidable goal we spoke to fans straight after the match in our post-match podcast and they were delighted with the stadium but not very happy with Thomas Frank subs at all. And Billy, one of the most interesting things about the Brentford team sheet at the moment is that Brian and Boom has been dropped to the bench and Marcus Force, who's usually a striker, is playing on the wing instead of him. What's happened to him over the past few months? Because he's gone from being one of the hottest young prospects in the division to struggling to get into the team. You can't underestimate the French connection. Bumo is missing his mate Saeed and he was part of a lethal trio of the infamous Ben Rama, Watkins and Bumo BMW who understood how each other played and they fed off each other. But is he that far off? I mean, at this stage last season, he actually scored four goals as opposed to this season's one. But he also does have six assists this season and that's from not firing on all cylinders. I mean, he's still finding his feet. He's very young, he's only 21, and he's away on his own, you know, from France. So he's still got a lot of developing. I mean, Marcus Force, though, on the other hand, the guy's a machine. We've had a huge debate on the Besotted podcast as to whether Force and Tony can play in the same team, and the answer is no, probably not. But saying that, we found a temporary solution with Force on the wing, but he likes to cut in, and Tony also likes to drop back. So in the long term, I've no doubt that Brentford will be looking at a left-wing option in January because we lack a bit of pace and width outside our wing-backs and we need to take the pressure off Canos and Mbumo over this marathon long, long season. Nice one. Cheers, Billy. He mentioned Sergi Canos there, Justin. That was his first goal in two seasons and they could really do with him getting his goal-scoring boots on. But considering Blackburn were down to 10 men for two-thirds of the game, Brentford really should have won this, shouldn't they? They should have, and I think I think there's some a few pelters towards Thomas Frank and some of his subs. He took off Rico Henry with ten minutes to go, and obviously Canos as well, just after he scored, which was pretty bizarre. Um, but then again, you know, as you say, it's games like this. They're up against promotion rivals or rivals for the playoffs. They should be putting these teams away, especially when they go down to ten men. Um, so yeah, it's really disappointing from a Brentford perspective. But you know, on the flip side, massive for Blackburn. Brentford are unbeaten in 9 now, which has led to them jumping into the playoffs. Blackburn will be very happy with this result. They're fortunate to have left with a point, as we just said. A great goal by Joe Rothwell. Going past three men before guiding it past David Raya. That was superb. A concern for them is that they've now lost two centre-halves in this game. And Ryan Niambe had to slot in at the back. 
but he is capable of playing there, isn't he? So I wouldn't be too concerned about Blackburn just yet. They have got Daniel Ayala, who is on the bench for this game. Reading are up to third after beating Forest 2-0. This game was always looking a bit one-sided after Ryan Yates got sent off in the 15 minutes for handling on the line. Rich Ferraro is from the Forest Ramble. The red card didn't help things here, did it, Rich? Uh, the things that we knew about the match beforehand, Reading have got a really good conversion rate. So if they get chances, they're always going to be in with a good chance of scoring. Um, they're not great at the pack, but Forest are absolutely atrocious going forward. So to give them a goal start and to play more than three quarters of the match with 10 men, uh, it was never going to happen, was it? Um, Forest are just so devoid of confidence and um, lacking creativity. Um and so, you know, what can you do in those situations? Credit to Reading, they took advantage, basically treated it like a training match. Yeah, you say Forrest haven't been very good going forward. They haven't scored now in the last five games, which is surprising, really, when you've got the likes of Lyle Taylor, Nokiart, Lolly, Freeman. These are very good players at, these, at this level. So why don't you think it's clicking? Mm, it's difficult to know because obviously we saw Joe Lolly and Sammy Amiobi both had really good spells last season. Um, since lockdown, Lolly's fitness has dropped off a cliff. He's got compartment syndrome, which basically affects his ability to run. And it looks to me like he's still suffering a bit. Um, Amiobi, we've always known he's he's a streaky player and he's he's not in a great streak. And it's the same with Knockhart. And as for Freeman, um, well, we've not seen him fit, I don't think. Um, also, I'm not entirely sure what his best position is. So at the moment, we've got all these players and it's a bit square pegs in round holes. But, you know, slightly misshapen square pegs at the moment. What have Forest fans made of Chris Hewton so far? Because you won the first game under him. But since then, you've won two games in two months. Brian, as you know, it's always the manager who carries the can, however fair that might or might not be. Uh, the fan base... Naturally, there's sections of the fan base who are saying, well, Hewton's not doing a very good job. Look at the players he's got. But I always say that you look at what's the common denominator. We've had Karanka and Hewton, um, Lamushi, and, you know, even if we include Martin O'Neill, you've got managers there who feel like they've had the rug pulled from under them. Uh, we've had a huge turnover of players, 70 players in, you know, in, in sort of three and a half years. Um, transfer windows have not always been very successful. So it suggests to me that there's something more going on at Nottingham Forest, as much as it pains me to say it. Um, and, you know, there's also an article by Danny Taylor in The Athletic, which suggests as much. And that's coming from a Forest supporter who's reporting on his own club. Cheers, Rich. Yeah, it certainly does seem like something's going on behind the scenes at Forest at the moment, doesn't it, Justin? The fact is that it seemed that way even before lockdown, really, didn't it? Yeah, and there's a there's a really interesting article in the Athletic from Daniel Taylor, who's quite well known amongst the forest. What forest Rich was just talking about. Yeah, and um, it's it's just it's just weird. Yeah, we've said it week after week. It should be going right for Forest, but it isn't. There's obviously something there, and I think Forest are, are in a very similar position, position to Derby. There's a lack of identity. There seems to be such a massive gap between um, supporters and players and, and club. Um, and there's no logical approach to recruitment. It's just scattergun, and that's ultimately harmed Forest because there's just no balance to their team uh, at all. No. The golfer and Forest fan Lee Westwood has offered to go and have a chat with the Forest team. Do you think he'd be able to rally round the players? No. Plays golf. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> Doubt it. I just have this image of him going there and the foreign players at Forest having absolutely no idea who he is. <laughs> it's very specific, isn't it? Um, for Reading this game was pretty straightforward for them after the red cards but they could have won it by more couldn't they they could and obviously it's not synonymous really you know Reading are very clinical um, so by you know if they'd have gone through the same spell of um, converting the chances that they did earlier on the season it'd have been 10 11 nil um, but that's such as the dominance that Reading had in this game they were they were really good they were very efficient and I think the last four games, or the last four games, including this one, they're showing why they should be up there. There's quality all over the pitch. There's depth as well. I think my only concern with Reading is if one of Rinomata or Laurent get injured, they've started every game so far. So if one of them gets injured, will Pornovic have to tweak the formula he's put together? You know, who's going to come in? Um, and as I say, they both started every game this season. So that's my only concern. I tell you what, the attacking ability that was on show in this game, it was one of those games where all 
the Reading players, attack-wise, clicked. And it doesn't happen very often. But I was absolutely spellbinded by Michael Elise. The lad is 18 years old and he had Forrest all over the place. He had the whole defence on strings. He mm. is some talent. The ability is out of this world. He's now created the fifth most chances in the league. He can run with the ball. And then the composure to pull off some of the things he's doing for someone who's just 18 is simply astonishing. You know when someone just oozes star quality and it's so obvious... That's what I see when I look at this lad. He's going to the very top, Justin. He is a superstar in waiting. And I know Valko Panovic is keen for him to not get carried away. And Panovic has got some job on his hands because there's going to be a lot of people talking about him very soon. I can assure you of that. Reading, they're up to third now. Stoke one, Middlesbrough nil. And Nathan Collins' header was enough for Michael O'Neill's boys to get all three points. Ben Rowley is from the Stoke podcast, the YYY Files. Ben, how was the game? The game itself was pretty dull, really. I mean, I guess that's what you get for scoring after 19 minutes against the Middlesbrough side. They were not very dangerous up until the last 20 minutes, I want to say, barring a good save from Joe Bersick in the first half. Uh, apart from that, Stoke played well from my point of view on the whole. They defended very well towards the end, especially uh, limiting Middlesbrough to very little. And... I thought going forward, we were really different from what we're used to. We've got a lot of injuries up front. Uh, Sam Vokes didn't play very well last game, so we went with Jacob Brown, Tyrese Campbell and James McLean up front. A lot of pace. And it works against this middle of the side. Uh, I'd say that Tyrese Campbell in the second half should have had maybe two, three or four goals. He was really, really dangerous. His finishing may be lacking today. But on the whole, really, really impressed with Stoke in this game and in the current moment as well. Nathan Collins got the goal. He's a young 19-year-old lad who I'm a big fan of. I don't think I've spoken about him too much on the podcast. I might be wrong there. But either way, I'm very excited about him. Are you excited as well? Yeah, so Nathan Collins is another young centre-back at Stoke, along with Harry Suter, who we've been wax lyrical about, of course. Uh, but he's one of two young centre-backs at Stoke who are coming through. Uh, played well as part of a back three at the start of the season. Um, but then multiple injuries have come through and he's playing right back at the moment, partially because of injury, partially because Michael O'Neill says that it's good for Nathan's development to play it right back. Uh, similar to Suter, he's got that athletic ability, big lad as well, very clever on the ball. And he's got a couple of goals this season already. I think he's a he's not a conventional right back, um, absolutely not. And I don't think he'll be there for very long. I think it's just for his development, if nothing else. Um, but he's dangerous and he's playing well. He doesn't look out of place in the Stoke side. He was uh, being scouted by Man United, I think it was this season or last season before. We've got a lot of young players at Stoke who are really pushing through and making their mark on the first team. It's so exciting to see. Yeah, this result means that Stoke have moved up into the playoffs. How confident are you that you'll be able to stick around there as the season goes on? To be honest, I don't know how comfortable I am talking about it because this is Stoke, as we know from championship seasons of previous that we are not reliable in anybody's accumulators or across the course of a season either um, but this is different to what we've seen in the last two seasons in the championship we are a good side and as we can see from the game yesterday and the Wickham game as well we are getting wins these 1-0 wins particularly where we weren't getting them last season or the season before we are grinding out results and I don't know about you, but that is the hallmark of a team that is going to be at the right end of the table at the end of the season. Do I think we'll make it there? It's really tight at the top. We could be first or ninth by the next game. Who knows? Uh, I hope that we've got the qualities to make the playoffs. Injuries are going to take their toll over the season, I'm sure. But yeah, go on. I think we can make the playoffs. That's the confidence we like to hear on the second tier podcast, Ben. Uh, just finally, Neil Warnock said after the game that the facilities that Stoke gave Middlesbrough were a disgrace. He said the toilets were blocked, there was water all over the floor. Uh, he said it wasn't fit for animals. What do you make of these comments? I saw them and sat and absorbed them. And I don't know, I just couldn't help but think that I was absolutely delighted when he made them. We finally got one over him, um, considering that he's the sort of guy who would do that sort of thing. Um, I know that he was talking about uh, the cold, wet, windy night in Stoke uh, analogy the other day, and he was laughing it off saying, oh, that's only a thing that Southerners talk about. But it's nice that he's been able to come to Stoke and uh, get a taste of his own medicine, so to speak. Um, 
But to be honest, it's nice that Stoke are that team again. We've not seen that since the early days of the Premier League about 10 years ago. We were this side that's hard to beat and nobody likes us. And that's what made us successful. The fact that we're seeing that again and the fact that people are making these comments publicly about it, you can screw the playoffs. I'd rather have this Stoke side who are just nasty. Nobody likes us. Love that. Cheers, Ben. Justin, can you believe the state of Stoke's changing rooms? (laughs) Considering some of the ones that I've been in um, (laughs) in my Sunday league career, and they've been some absolute corkers. Um, I think I think they'll get over it pretty quickly. I mean, mm. it, it says a lot about the state of things. If you if, Warn- if Neil Warnock's angry about it, actually no, it doesn't take much to make it Neil Warnock angry. So I think they I think they were fine. I think this Porter cabin was ideal. I, I I've got nothing else to say on the matter. <laughs> <laughs> Great result for the Potters, though, wasn't it? It was, and um, it seems to me that they they become very Stoke of late. You know the old the old Stoke we used to see, where they used to grind games out, win one nil, really low scoring. They seems they've sort of gone into that, but they've needed to because they've they've leaked a lot of goals recently. But it's three clean sheets in a row, and that stability at the back is is massive considering the goalkeeping crisis, which is just unheard of to some extent that they've that they've suffered they've been really unlucky um so yeah that that stability has really helped and obviously that's that stability is just going to make it's going to push them up the table yeah that's what ben was just saying that they are going back to shithousing games and it's not the worst tactic on earth because as we can see now they're up to fifth it's providing results and as ben was just saying nathan collins Super player. I'm a massive fan of his. Uh, the Chenya rumours aside, Justin, Neil Warnock will be very disappointed again because in the second half of this game, they created a fair few chances, just couldn't put them away. And it's something that we seem to be saying every time Borough failed to win. Yeah, and it's just one away win all season as well. And obviously, you know, it's not the first time they'd have had um, this situation where they've, they have they should have defended better for the goal. That Going 1-0 down in the, in the manner that he did, it's, it's not a bad ball from Morgan Fox, but it was right in the six-yard box. George Savile could have could have stopped Collins and he didn't. Um, so that, that, that lack of clinical edge was was prevalent throughout the game, both defensively and in attack. And as you say, the, the not being clinical is going to cost them points throughout the season. That's probably the difference between finishing the playoffs and out of it. Possibly. The British on the long YouTube, Abcom, Akpom they are getting so many chances just not putting them away if they had Ashley Fletcher I think it would be so much different but he's not back until at least the new year Um, I imagine Warney will be keen to get back their defensive solidity as well because they've now gone from conceding two in something like 12 games to six in the last three Mm -hmm. which would have been unheard of not too long ago right Justin let's have a break after that we will talk about Cardiff Norwich and Huddersfield Are you struggling for present ideas this Christmas? Have you thought about getting a Dortmund shirt for your dad? What about some Barcelona shorts for your brother? Or maybe even a Lazio jumper for that special someone in your life? Classic Football Shirts is everything you need for any football mad people you're buying for this Christmas. Whether it's a Blackburn shirt from 2007 or even Middlesbrough themed loungewear, whoever they support, they'll have something for their club. Have a look for yourself at classicfootballshirts.co.uk or visit them in-store in either London or Manchester. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Kiefer Moore's fifth goal in five games was enough for Cardiff to beat Watford 1-0. It means the Hornets have won just once in their last five games. Mike Duffy is from the Watford Podcast, Voices of the Vic. And your boys are struggling at the moment, aren't they, Mike? Yeah, you, you, you could say that. We're, we're, we're on a bit of a sort of sticky run at the moment, picking up points away from home when really should be taking all three. Um, should have really took all three against Nottingham Forest uh, on paper. But as we know, football's not played on paper. So a little bit of a, a, a sticky run, but I'm confident we'll get out of it. Why do you think you'll be able to pull through this, Mike? Do you think it's a case of... Uh, the performances have been there, but the results just haven't gone your way? Or do you think you just have enough quality for the performances to eventually turn around soon? 
I think the quality of the squad that we've got will shine through. And Vladimir Rivic possesses a winning mentality. Yes, he's not done it in the Championship before. But neither have the past few managers that have been promoted from the Championship. It's an interesting start out there. I think it's seven of the last 12 to get promoted. Haven't had prior experience in the Championship or haven't had prior experience of managing in the Championship, I should say. Because uh, a couple have played, but not managed. So, yeah, uh, it brings a winning mentality and that's going to put you in good stead either way. And with this squad, his winning mentality, something will click. I know I mentioned on this podcast a couple of weeks ago that once we click, that team will get battered. Possibly you could say that was Preston, but they were a depleted Preston side. But I still do stick with my words. I'm telling you now, once we click, that is it. I like your confidence, Mike. And just finally, the other thing you mentioned last time we were on the podcast was the left-back situation. Now you've had Ben Wilmot playing there for the last couple of games, and he's usually a centre-back. How frustrating is it that you've got all this quality in the squad, but not a recognised left-back? Yeah, far from ideal that we haven't. But Adam Messina's back in contention, so I'd imagine he'll play some part in Tuesday night's home game against Rotherham. But on that note, I must say that Ben Wilmot, although he's not a left-back, uh, he's been doing a bloody good job at it when he has been called into action because I think he played there against QPR, obviously played there against Cardiff, as you mentioned. So hats off to him to adapt into that. Uh, but I, I think it is evident that we do need another left-back in, even though Messina, who is a left-back, uh, will be back because if he gets injured again, we're screwed uh, and we don't have an out-and-out left-back. There is rumours that we're looking at Harry Pickering from Crew Alexandra. So I don't know how much truth is in that and I don't really know that much about him. So, um, But, yeah, it is frustrating. But I think the players that we do have that have filled in there have done just a, a good enough job. Cheers, Mike. Watford have now dropped down to seventh and have Rotherham in midweek. Now, Justin... I'm well aware that we could soon become a Kiefer Moore podcast, so we'll try to avoid talking about him, even though it's hard not to, because he is so damn good. But it was a well-thought-out win by Cardiff, wasn't it? It was, and as you say, let's let's completely ignore Kiefer Moore. He doesn't exist at, at this very moment in time. <laughs> um, it's another clean sheet for Cardiff. That's three in a row. That's just as major for them uh, as picking up the wins. Considering how poor they've been defensively this season, it, it, it's massive it's another set piece goal as well it's nine for the season again earlier on in the season they were cons- they were leaking goals at set pieces they've turned that around and they've remembered how to win games they've remembered how to grind them out um, and they're, they're reducing opposition chances as well you know Watford with the amount of attacking quality that they have didn't have too much of a sniff at this, this Cardiff back line and that's testament to probably how Neil Harris has perhaps transformed the team coming back off the international break you know, we're seeing a completely different Cardiff to the one that went into the international break. It's it's a real turning form, and obviously now Keith Moore exists. Um, he's he, him banging in the goals is, is is massive for Cardiff. It's a striker they've needed for years. Mm. You'd say that you want more of the other Cardiff players chipping in a bit more, like someone like Harry Wilson, who's not really contributing to as many goals as I thought he would be mm. at this point. But I think this was a really well-managed game by Neil Harris in the way that once they scored, that was pretty much it. He managed to kill the game off. And it is amazing how much pressure can be lifted off a manager as soon as they win three games in a row. Yeah. Miraculous, you might say. Uh, Cardiff are now up to 11th, four points off the playoffs, and have a meeting with their neighbours coming up in a week's time, Justin, which I'm sure will be... A friendly affair. On Friday night, we saw a demolition job as Bournemouth thumped Barnsley 4-0. It was a bit of a weird game, really, because in the first half, despite going two goals down, I didn't think Barnsley were actually too bad and might have even been the better team in the first half. Yeah, it's weird when you <laughs> when a team wins 4-0 away from home, you expect it to be um, one-sided, but it wasn't. I was quietly impressed with Barnsley. Um, I think the Diego Rico goal, which was the third goal, killed them. Oh. It absolutely killed the game, and you know what a strike it was. Um, and you know, had that not gone in, I think Barnsley might have been in with a chance of getting a result. But that's the difference in quality of both the teams. You know, Slanky costs more than this whole Barnsley lineup, I imagine. Um, you know, which is, as I say, it's a difference in quality. Bour- uh, Bournemouth put their chances away. Barnsley didn't. Yeah. In the second half, it was a bit more cut and, yeah. cut and dry, wasn't it? Um, the two goals seemed to really um, throw Barnsley off their rhythm. 
but I don't think you're giving enough credit to Diego Rico's free kick because that was <laughs> exceptional. The technique to hit it like that, it was like an arrow from about 25, 30 yards out. And the TV cameras afterwards showed that he didn't even look at the goal yeah. before taking it, which I'm not even sure, is that even possible? Unless Clearly. Diego Rico's got some sort of compass in his head, which is constantly pointing to the opposition goal. I, I, I don't know how that's physically possible. Shall we ask the question, did he mean it then? Was it a cross, Ryan? Did he that, spoon that, it? He, de- he definitely meant that. <laughs> I, I just don't know. Unless he has you know, got some sort of picture image in his mind of exactly where the goalposts are. I've no idea how he's managed it. But it was a much-needed win for Jason Tindall, wasn't mm. it? After two dodgy results in the week, they're now second in the table. Norwich are the team who are still top after beating Wednesday 2-1. They were 1-0 down until the 81st minute when Norwich scored and then scored again three minutes later, which I'm sure Tony Pulis would have been delighted about. <laughs> uh, Wednesday's shots on target update. After having three shots on target in four games under Tony Pulis, they managed five in this game, which is a bit disappointing for our narrative. But um, Wednesday's goal came from a cross by Adam Reach, which just now, I don't want to exaggerate. I think might have been one of the best crosses I've ever seen. It was Beckham-esque. He's about 40 yards away, killed it, and put it on a plate for Josh Windass. It was so good, I could have scored it. And I can't think of a greater <laughs> compliment. I, d- I can't think of a greater compliment than that. Wow. Yeah. That, <laughs> okay, listeners, Ryan's not very good at football. So Whoa, yeah. hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm quite handy in the old five-a-side arena. Yeah, I guess. Um but you're right, and it was a carbon copy of the Callum Patterson goal in midweek. Um, and c- uh, just to uh, just to add to it as well, considering the fact that there was just one man in the box, he's just got yeah. one man to aim for in the box. It was a, it was a, it was a perfect cross, inch perfect cross. And as you say, Wednesday were pretty good going forward here. Um, really disappointed with Norwich again, but it's it's weird that you're praising a team that loses and criticising a team that wins, because you know it's 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 just disappointing from from Norwich's perspective. Just going back to you saying I'm not very good at football, I am going to take issue with that. I once scored against Jamal Lascelles in five-a-side. So was he in goal? Sh- no, I didn't actually realise who he was until uh, afterwards. But, I mean, when you've got the finisher's technique that I have, that's what I'm going to say. Norwich deserved the win here, I thought. I thought they were the much better team throughout. It's worth bringing up that there was a Wednesday fan who got a hotel room which was overlooking the pitch at Car Road. Which may very well make him the only away fan at a game in England since March. Although, <laughs> I, I, for some reason, I've got this thinking in my head that he, someone else has done that before. But either way, well done to that Wednesday fan. Huddersfield 2, QPR nil. A beautiful goal by Josh Karoma sent the Terriers on their way. Although, I wasn't too sure about the QPR defending for it. Because there are at least four players who could have closed him down. But they kept backing off and backing off. And it's, a, it's as bad as defending as you can do when a player has the ball from 25 yards out. But Mm. I I just don't know what they're doing, Justin. It's like they're daring him to shoot, but QPR have now drifted back into the same problems that they had last season where they're hopeless defensively. They started the season all right, but in their last nine games, they've only had two games where they haven't conceded two or more, which Mm. is remarkable. You've got to question how a side can be so bad defensively for this long, haven't you? Everyone at the club knew last season that the defence was the main issue and it needed to improve. And quite simply, it's not. And I don't know why it's not been addressed. They get away with 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 the number of goals they concede in games because they score a decent amount of goals. But this isn't the same as last season when they had the likes of Naki Wells and Abiri Eze. So I'm not sure the goal scoring is going to continue without having players as talented as those two. I'm just not sure. Well, yeah, it's you know it's three wins in ten, and it's just four wins all season, twenty four conceded in that time. They don't have, as you mentioned, they don't have Eberichi, Easy, Jordan Hugo, Naki Wells bailing them out. Um, Lyndon Dykes hasn't hit the form we expected him to, or perhaps anyone would have expected him to. And they are relying on creativity from, say, Samuel um, and Elias Chair, which, from Chair's perspective, comes fairly inconsistency and can't rely on a say Samuel every week to bail you out going forward so defensively it's got to improve it hasn't then you know at that point do you then start to look at the coaching the management the organisation it's very hard to create an argument for Warbson at the moment I expect he's got a couple of games to 
perhaps save himself, which might seem a bit drastic, but their form's just been so bad. He's one of a number of managers who are under pressure, aren't they? And the fact that he's not shown <clears throat> really any willingness to try and sort out this defence mm-hmm. is a massive, massive cause for concern. They're now 18th in the table of Rangers. Could get dragged into a relegation battle. We'll have to wait and see. Um, Huddersfield have only won two out of their nine games when Carlos Corbrand's not wearing his cream chinos. I saw that. It's, yeah. it's very brave in the winter to wear cream chinos. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. I think it's brave for any manager to wear cream chinos, really. It's not something you see very often, but it seems to get something out of the Huddersfield team. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, But either way, it was a comfortable, controlled performance from Corberan's side, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And um, as you know, it's it's going to be a weekly thing where I praise Carlos Corberan and Huddersfield because I'm probably, aside from Huddersfield fans, I'm probably their biggest fan. Um, Just the style of play is is just so good. And you look at Harry Toffolo, who he's come from a, a Cowley team where he's one of the main attacking outlets and he's, he's been one of the best left wing backs or left backs this season in the whole league I think him and Jake Bidwell have, have been miles ahead of any other any other wing back and you know let's, let's debate that another time but he's getting the best out of players that ultimately weren't there last season or weren't very good last season which is just testament to his, his style of management and his ability to eke out quality in players yeah, he, is, he has done a good job, hasn't he? Even though the results haven't been brilliant recently, they're ticking over nicely. I feel a bit cruel having talked about Karoma's goal earlier and not. And I was just talking about how terrible the defending was and not giving Karoma any credit because it was a beautifully taken goal. The technique to just guide it into the top corner from that distance, exceptional. But he is a bloody good player, isn't he, Karoma? He's one of those players who you just mentioned. Corberan is getting the best out of. And he's probably the player who's improved the most in the whole league this season because he's gone from being an outcast at Huddersfield to being probably their best attacking threat. It's a remarkable turnaround, but fair play to the lad. When he's on form, it makes you completely forget about Carl and Grant. They're quite similar players. I wouldn't say Kroma's at that standard just yet, but when he plays well, Huddersfield tends to play very well as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you mentioned, Harry Toffolo is also class. Massive fan of his, but I praise him too much. Uh, Birmingham got their first win in six games after beating Bristol City 1-0. Not a particularly exciting game, but a big win for Ita Karanka. Yep, first win in six, as you said, since beating Preston 2-1. It was a set-piece goal, so perhaps you do expect them to create more from open play. Um, but it's a good building block for them to, to put a run together. Um, their away form at, Birmingham, uh, at Bristol City is, is ridiculous, by the way. They've, they've won eight of their last ten games at Ashton Gate. Deal, yeah. Line. So clearly bogey a bogey side. team. Yeah. Yeah. Your classic bogey team. So you know, it's it's as I say, it's a good building block from Birmingham City. They 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 need to build on this and cre- and put a run of form together because that's something they haven't managed to do all season. Bristol City have now fallen out of the top six, and finally Preston two, Wickham two. Wickham very unfortunate not to have won this. We thought Preston might have turned a corner after beating <laughs> Bournemouth in the week, but this performance raises a few more question marks. Preston now have the second worst defensive record in the league and have only had one game in the last nine where they've not conceded two or more, which is amazing, really. Uh, let's do who knows wins, Justin. This is our league where you can win money by correctly predicting the results of championship games. It's really easy to do. You just need to download the Who Knows Wins app. Join our league, guess the most correct results out of all the games in the championship. The more people involved, the bigger the prize. We've got midweek games, so make sure you join our midweek league before the deadline on Tuesday for your chance to win some big money. The big winner this weekend with eight points, the eight games they got correct, which is pretty impressive considering some of the games this week were very hard to predict, Mm. um, was Jay Allen, 99. He got eight right and won 90 quid. Which is not bad for a weekend, is it? The, the pot this weekend was 204 quid. So that's been shared out between all our listeners. So well done if you did come home with anything this weekend. Right, Justin, let's... I'm just hitting my keyboard. Justin, let's uh, look ahead to the midweek games. Let me just get them up. Here we go. So the first game this weekend is Coventry Luton. Which way are you going? I'm going draw. 
I'm going to go Luton. Huddersfield, Chef Wednesday. Going Huddersfield. I'll go draw. Millwall, QPR. I'm going draw. Two very out-of-form sides. I'll side with Millwall. Stoke, Cardiff. I'm going with Cardiff. That was I think hard. I'll, I'll go Cardiff as well. They're two teams that are in form. Swansea, Bournemouth. I'm going Swansea. I'll go Bournemouth. Watford, Rotherham. Uh, uh, two teams out of form again. Uh, Watford. I'll go Watford as well. Preston Borough. Mm. Draw. It's a side who have got terrible home form and a side that aren't great away. Yeah. But I'll go Borough. <laughs> Barnsley Wickham. Um, uh, ooh, I'm going to go Barnsley. I'll go Barnsley as well. Brentford Derby. Brentford. You'd have thought Brentford. But... <laughs> Who knows anymore? I'll go Brentford as well. Bristol City, Blackburn. Um, I'm going to go Blackburn. I'll go Blackburn as well. Norwich Forest. Mm, draw. I'll go Norwich. Reading, Birmingham. Reading. I will also go Reading. So that's who knows wins. Make sure you join before our league starts on Tuesday for your chance to win big money. It's very easy to do. All you need to do is download the app. Get on it now. Right, now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for a roundup of the news from the past week. And we'll start with the unfortunate news that a section of Millwall fans booed the players taking the knee before the game against Derby on Saturday. In a statement, Millwall say they're dismayed and saddened by the incident. It also says staff at the club have been working to enhance Millwall's reputation day after day and will not allow their fine work to be in vain. Justin, we must emphasise that this is not all Millwall fans, but it's incredibly disappointing either way, isn't it? It is. You know, you, you wait nine months to watch a football match and the first thing that comes to your head is to boo a symbolic action against racism. It's incredibly bizarre. <clears throat> I think just the, the, the thing you need to do is just educate yourself. Don't listen um, or, or don't listen to you know radio or anything or don't form your opinion from Twitter, Facebook or a gammon like Nigel Farage. Um, it's not it's not a political group, uh, BLN that is. Um, you know they themselves have said they're non-political, non-partisan, non-violent. Hence the kneel. It's a peaceful protest, and the booing in this game only highlights the need to maintain the conversation around it and the the kneeling itself. Yeah, I can't say I'm surprised that this has happened. It, not because it's Millwall, but I was always expecting something like this to happen. And unfortunately, it is going to happen again with other clubs. I can guarantee it. It's because the taking the knee symbol on the Black Lives Matter message has somehow been misinterpreted as this political thing between mm -hmm. the left and right. And it's simply ridiculous. The reason players are taking the knee before the game is because of what it says on the tin. Black Lives Matter. It's not about left or right wing. And if you're booing the statement Black Lives Matter, then... You're racist. There's no two ways about it. The Millwall fans who have done this have embarrassed the club. And unfortunately, it's not for the first time. Their name has been dragged through the mud again. And I can't emphasise enough, it's not talking about all Millwall fans here. But incidents like this just show why players need to keep taking the knee. Why hashtag BLM needs to be stamped everywhere. Because this message will stand the test of time over a small bunch of idiots. Booing. Um... Let's move on, Justin. A bailout between the Premier League and EFL has finally been agreed. From a championship perspective, it includes a £200 million loan facility, which clubs can utilise interest-free. Good news. Ish, I think. Okay. When it's Tell a loan, more. I'm always nervous because obviously it's going to get paid back potentially with interest. Um, you know, these this thing's it's hot, it's got to work in the Premier League club favour. Yeah, short term it works. Would have been good if it was agreed four or five months ago. Um, don't know why the government has relied on the Premier League clubs to bail out other teams in their industry. You know, in inverted commas, it should have been the government's responsibility rather than Premier League clubs. But hey ho, that's that's where we're at. Um, but as I say, you know, loan always makes me a bit sceptical. I, I do agree with what you're saying about why the government has told the Premier League to do it. It's not like. Jeff Bezos is having to bail out every single shop 
yeah, in the country. Exactly. It, it, it doesn't make any sense to be that, but I get your point. Uh, fans have been back at grounds this past week. We spoke about it in the midweek episode, and it just sounds so good to actually hear people celebrating a goal, not a fake recording anymore. <laughs> Uh, Wayne Rooney has once again reiterated his desire to be a manager. He's also revealed he's taking advice from Sir Alex Ferguson and David Moyes as he tries to impress the Derby bosses. It's as reports this week claim John Terry is a frontrunner for the job. No decision is expected to be made until the takeover is completed. This takeover, which was meant to have been done and dusted a month ago, but for some reason is dragging on and on. Um, just a little side note, I have heard reports today, I haven't actually seen them myself, but apparently Sean Dyche is being linked to the job now, but mm-hmm. everyone's being linked to the Derby job at the moment, <laughs> so who who really knows what's reliable anymore? Uh, let's talk about a managerial position that actually has been filled, and that's Sunderland. Lee Johnson has gone from Bristol City to there. Um, I wasn't expecting him to drop down to League One though, were you? Um, I think he comes with a bit of baggage because of how much he spent at Bristol City and his inability to get them in the playoffs. So perhaps dropping down to a team like Sunderland who, you know, as many described, they're sleeping giants. I think it's a good step for him. Um, And I think he is a good coach. He just needs something away from Bristol City. I think it just ran its time there. So yeah, I think it's a good good move. It is a good point. Um, I think when you put it like that, maybe when it's a, a club as big as Sunderland, then Lee Johnson will look at that and think that's a very tasty job. Um, and if he was going to get a job, it would be a championship club at the lower end of the table, wouldn't it? So yeah. I, I take your point. Uh, Stoke have signed goalkeeper Andy Lonigan. Now, this is after their two normal goalkeepers, Adam Davies and Angus Gunn, got injured. They then signed, signed Bristol City goalkeeper Nicky Mayampa, and he also got injured. So now they've had to bring in Lonigan on a short-term deal. Uh Paddy McNair has signed a new deal at Borough, which will keep him at the club until the end of the 2024 season. Good news, because he's arguably been the best player in the Championship this season. He's been, yeah, I don't even know if I'd, I'd describe him as the best defender, because the amount of times he gets up the pitch and contributes to the attacking play uh, at Borough is ridiculous. So I think best all-round player, it'd be fair to say that, yeah. Best defender, definitely. Uh, Preston defender Patrick Bauer is out for the season after he suffered an Achilles injury against Bournemouth. Very disappointing news from a Preston perspective, particularly with how badly they've been defended this season. Uh, But best of luck to Mr Bauer. Middlesbrough defender Grant Hall is out for 16 weeks. He only signed in the summers, played three games so far. To be honest, I'm not sure he'd get in the side anyway, but Mm. hopefully he comes back soon. Norwich have complained to the EFL after Luton midfielder Luke Berry put his arms around the referee when he gave a penalty in their game in midweek. Have you actually seen what happened? Yeah, <laughs> there are two questions. Why are they complaining and two, why is Luke Berry hugging the referee? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea why he's done it, but it was very funny. Um, apparently, it's someone... It's come from the hierarchy at Norwich it's nothing to do with Daniel Farker or anything like that it's it's the upper hierarchy who have complained so I don't know and sticking with Norwich Timu Puki has been named the Finnish male athlete of the year he's now won it twice in a row and he's only the third footballer to have won it can you name me other two footballers Justin um Yari Lippmanaman um yep um Finnish footballer I don't know Simo Valakari Sammy Hippier oh yeah It surprises me that Finland don't have more good footballers, considering you know Sweden, Norway, they're quite handy at making footballers, but Finland only seems to like make one every generation. Weird, True. really, isn't it? Mm. Um, anyway, let's, let's move on from Finland and talk <laughs> about the championship. Uh, so at the start of the show, it's uh, all right, I should point out it's time for the polls. This is the part of the show where we ask you three questions on Twitter, and all you've got to do is let us know your thoughts on those three questions. So the first question that we asked is, which of these sides in the top six are most likely to go up automatically? Brentford, Reading, Stoke or Swansea? Justin, which one are you going with? Um, I'm going to go Reading. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah, I'd um... go Brentford. And most people agree with me. 47% said Brentford, 18% said Reading, 15% said Stoke, 20% said Swansea. So there you go. Is Michael Elise the best young player in the Championship? Yes or no? Absolutely is. 
I'd say yes as well. 41% said yes. 59% said no. I also what? asked them. I asked other people to name okay. another young player. Tyrese Campbell, Callum Styles. Um, someone put Sam Vokes, for God's sake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jason Knight. Um, JP10. Who's JP? Oh, Xiao Pedro. Tyree Stolen. Harvey Elliott is a fair shout as well, but he's technically on loan, so we don't count. Uh, Josh De Silva. Max Ahrens. Yeah, there's plenty that you could name. And the final question was, which milk do you prefer? Full fat, semi-skimmed or skimmed? I don't drink dairy milk. I drink oat milk. Oh, you're such a vegan. <laughs> um, I drink semi-skimmed and have done my whole life, and 72% of people also have. Uh, full fat got 90% and 9% voted skimmed. So well done, our listeners, on having the right choice of milk. Right, now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. So this is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Tom Morgan from Total Swans TV. And, uh, well, it was meant to be Joey from <laughs> the Knee Lampty podcast, but uh, obviously he's not here. So it's just going to be you two on this today. Are you confident you'll be able to pass Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight, even though it is just the two of you against the world? Um, I was fearing it when I thought there was going to be three of us. So to be, <laughs> to say another limb down, um, yeah, why not? Let's, let's, we'll just see what we can do. Yeah, I've got it. faith in you both. Uh, so <laughs> I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. And all they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say, name the eight Premier League and Championship clubs who play in stripes. And Justin would say Brighton, that's one down. And Tom would say Newcastle, that's another down. But if one of them were to say Man City, then they'd be out. So what you need to do, gents, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. Is that clear? Yes. Yes. Lovely. So usually I go for um, a hateful eight that links both the clubs of the guests on the podcast, but I was struggling with that. So instead, I've gone for something that's completely unrelated to the two of you. This week, can you name me the eight clubs Harry Redknapp has managed? His first job was in 1983. His most recent one was in 2017. I'm going to give. I'm going to give you one of them because you would have never guessed it in a million years. He managed Jordan for two matches in 2016. So we'll rule that one out. You've got seven left. So Justin, we'll start with you. Can you name me a club Harry Redknapp has managed? I honestly thought he managed more than that. Well, you'd be wrong. Okay, um, I'll start with Bournemouth. Bournemouth, yes, that was the first club he managed. He was there for nine years in the 1980s and 90s. Tom, another one, please. Um, Tottenham? Yes, that is absolutely right. He was there for four years. Justin? I throw West Ham in there. West Ham is correct. He was there for seven years and won the Intertoto Cup. Tom? Uh, well, that was one of my ones, and so now I'm really struggling. This has not been a good start. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. To be honest, you could just have a good guess. And yeah, I'll be too far <laughs> off. take a guess. Uh, let's go Sunderland. It's not Sunderland, but... Sunderland is completely incorrect. Wrong, yeah. So Tom is out. That means <sighs> it's down to Justin to see if he can get over the line. Right, the pressure's Justin, on now. Oh, I've done it. What are you yeah. saying? Uh, there's one that I forgot, but because I've written him down, I've got it. Um, QPR. QPR is correct. He was in charge for three years, including when Bobby Zamora scored that goal. That's why Justin probably remembers that. Yeah. Uh, Justin, you've got three more to get. Can you name me the last three clubs Harry Redknapp has managed? Three more. Uh, Birmingham City. Birmingham City, that is correct. He was there for five months in 2017. So you've got two more. Portsmouth. Portsmouth, yeah. Two spells there at Pompey, winning the first division in 2003 and the FA Cup. The final one, Justin? So we said Bournemouth, West Ham, Spurs, QPR, oh, Birmingham, no. Birmingham <laughs> City, Portsmouth. I thought, oh, no. I thought this one was fairly obvious. Hold Just on. name a club. Name, a, name club, a club, Justin. Name a club. You've got five club. seconds. That easy, is it? Um, I mean, he was at Derby as a... <laughs> as a technical advisor to Darren Russell a few years ago I'll say that it's, it's, you've gone with Derby Derby <laughs> is incorrect I thought you'd get it because he was at Southampton in between spells oh, at Pompey oh for god's sake and you yeah. know what I, I watched the Southampton Portsmouth game in the, the heat of lockdown to, to curb the boredom I should have got that there you go 
you were close. It's a brave effort from the two of you, but ultimately you've both failed. And Simon Grayson's hateful eight. We've had. Go on, Tom. I think I uh, I didn't, but I'm just going to use it as an excuse. I got the stripes mixed up with the teams, Southampton and Sunderland. <laughs> <laughs> That's my excuse, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> we get a half point. <laughs> so sorry about that. <laughs> no, Tom, don't you worry. Everyone falls foul to Simon Grayson's hateful eight at some point. But either way, thank you for your time today, Tom. We really appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday with more Midweek Games. I've been Ryan Dilks. Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. 